0: Tonight we are observing the Yortside Hilula of the Alter Rebbe Balatanye Vashochenoroch. Ah, change the lighting. Okay, that's that's the Oyer of Shnei Oyer. The Alter Rebbe was the Pysik in Nigla and in Nister, as he is implied by his name Shnei Oyer, the two lights and his two great works, the Tanya, which is the Teresh of Chassidus, and the Shulchanoruch HaRav, which is his uh, revision and uh, new pre- presentation of, of, of the Halachas of Shulchanoruch. Tonight's presentation is chiefly a biographical look at the life of the al Rebbe, and more specifically at one very particular takufa, or uh, period in the life of the al Rebbe, the, the months, roughly about 140 days, leading up to the event that we commemorate tonight. So we're going to be speaking about focusing on the last few months of the al Rebbe's life. Uh, before, before we do so, I just wanted to share a. Uh, an idea, a thought, a Torah thought. Happens to be, you hear something good and you want to share it. You know, it's like some people money burns a hole in their pocket. Others, you hear a good word and you you have to share it. So uh, Shabbos I was actually in Crown Heights. They had the uh, the young professionals Shabbaton. So I was able to get away for a little bit and Daven in 770 and Friday night Chaim Sholbrook from Lahak came over and he opened up the Tanya to that day's chitas, which was that, that Friday, just a few days ago, which is the end of Perigud Yud Gimel. And he pointed something out to me, and I want, I want to share it with you. In, in the end of Perigud Gimel of Tanya, the Altarebbe is speaking about how a benini, a regular person, if he'll really work, he can get himself into that zone where he's feeling Avas Hashem. He's really feeling love of Hashem and his Neve is asleep and it's not bothering him, there's no distractions, there's no nothing. And it's as if he were a tzaddik in that, uh, in that moment. Then the question though becomes, is that Avas Hashem authentic or not? Now why? Why would you question that? Because there's a general concept you know, I think it was Mark Twain who said, if you never lie, you never have to remember anything. Right? What does that mean? Is that a lie is different every time, so you have to, every time somebody asks you, you have to remember what you said last time to, to, to make sure that it'll be consistent. But if you always tell the truth, then you're always going to be consistent, because the truth never changes. The truth is the truth. This is what King Solomon, the wisest of all men, also said, he said, "Sfas amis." The language of truth, tikkun la'ad, it endures forever. Whereas in contrast, vadargiya lo shinshakeh, that a lie lasts only for a minute. So here's the question. The Bainani, he gets himself into that zone where he's feeling Ava Hashem, but then he finishes davening, he goes out into the street and he feels ava for other things that are not Hashem so maybe the whole time he was davening and he thought he was having Avas Hashem, it was a bluff maybe he's fooling himself because if it were authentic, it would never change so the Alter Rebbe addresses this and the Alter Rebbe says, I'm aware of the concept that M Emes La'ad that something that's real is unchanging however, <clears throat> says the Alter Rebbe Afopikein Notwithstanding the fact that generally truth should be constant, Legabe <inaudible> relatively speaking, you can't grade everybody according to the same test. You have to look at each person according to their level. So relatively speaking, Nikras, Tama, Shalehem. <inaudible> Their love of Hashem is authentic. It is genuine love. According to them, relative to who they are. Each one of them, according to their level, as Bainanim. In In other words, you have to differentiate. You have to tailor-make the expectations to be appropriate to each individual, right? Like any good mechanich. Therefore, says the Alta Rebbe, I hereby Declare or read about their Ava, about the Benini and his love of Hashem, that they feel during their davening Gam Svas ames tikun lo'ad. I also call it Svas ames, even though it doesn't last forever, but he says, he gives, a, he gives a, an, a, an explanation. It doesn't last forever, but whenever they want to get it back, if they'll put in the work, they can always get it back. So that in itself is a certain type of constancy, that any time they want to put in and invest the effort, they could get the Ava back. So in that way, it's constant. Now, what's interesting is one word here, hareini. We know the word hareini. We say it every day, hopefully, right? hareini right? hareini, what does hareini mean? I hereby. It's in the first person. I, hareini, I. This is the only place in Tanya, except for the Hagdamas uh, HaMalakit, where the Altareb is speaking as himself. But in the body of Tanya, in the Gan Prokim, it's the only place where the Rebbe writes in first person. It's very strange. Why is the Rebbe saying hareini? I call it Fas Of course you say. You, you wrote the whole book. Everything here is what you say. You hear the question? OK, so anyone hear the answer? I'll tell you, though, just a few minutes ago, before you came in, I had the real event. The real event was the children's program that we had before I came in for the adults program. We had a beautiful children's program. We sang they, we, we, we had a raffle. It was beautiful. So I told them this word. They followed, by the way. And uh, I asked if anyone, any of the boys there had the name Schneer. And, you know, I figured in a, in a room full of 20 Lubavitcher kids, you know, statistically speaking, I'll probably find one, right? So there were a few. And the one who was not uh, too bashful and was able to speak up, so I said to him, perfect. I, I don't know how old the kid was, maybe six, seven, eight. I mean, I can't judge. But uh, I'm not a good uh, judge of how old the kid is. But uh, I said to him, listen, listen, I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you don't know, that's fine. But you know that there's a minig of saying a posik for yourself and for the Rebbe at the end of... He says, yeah, I'm aware of the minig." So I said, what's the posik for Schneir? So he says, it's that posik you just said. <laughs> I said, what is it? And he's like, uh, uh, he couldn't start it. I said, Svas, and then, then he rattled off. I said, you say that three times a day, right? Shabbos, Yom Tufr, say it four times. Yom Kippur, you say it five times. Dalt Reb name was Schneir. I read this posik. The Alter Rebbe is talking about himself because every single day he was saying that Pasek. Now, just to add to that, after I heard the vort and I was walking back to Oli Teira where they had the uh, the dinner for the young professionals, so I was thinking a little bit more about it. What a beautiful concept that is. The Alter Rebbe, we know... <laughs> You know, when the, 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 the Rebbe told the story about the Alter Rebbe's Masir Asnefesh for the Yildis, for the woman who had given birth and how he, he went and he cooked soup for her and he took care of her, the, the Rebbe makes a point of saying, look, you're talking about the Alter Rebbe in the middle of davening. Could you, uh, could you think of anything holier than the Alter Rebbe and the Alter Rebbe davening? I mean, that's like the pinnacle. So every time the Alter Rebbe davened, you know, you could imagine what kind of davening you're talking about. Real Sfas Emes. And nevertheless, the Alter Rebbe didn't step back out of Shemun until he mentioned our davening. That's a nasi. Three times a day, four times on Shabbos, Rosh and Yom Tov, five times in Yom Kippur, the Alter Rebbe didn't finish davening his his tefillah as a tzaddik with real sfar sammas until he mentioned on the rest of us that we're also included. The Nasi lifts us all up to his level. Beautiful thought. At any rate, I want to now focus on the life of the Alter Rebbe, specifically, as we said, the last few months, which coincide with a period of great turmoil historically in in the world. Even those who are not familiar with uh, Chabad history and uh, Jewish history are very familiar with this period of time, which are the Napoleonic Wars. A little bit of a background. There was a revolution in France in the late 1700s, the 1790s. That revolution threw out the king, I mean, that's putting it nicely, they chopped his head off with a guillotine and his whole family. And they started a republic and that was a Balagan. I mean I'm not giving a whole French history but they attempted to get rid of the monarch and install some type of uh, republic and uh, it was the first French republic and uh, the, the, the thing was a disaster. And. Uh, Along came a nobody. He didn't come from royal stock. I mean, a monarch is a, is a hereditary position, right? You have to have yichus. Came a guy named Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte. And he wasn't, a, he wasn't from royal lineage. He was a soldier, a career soldier. And uh, you want to know, where's Moshe Rabashkin? I remember one time, remember our Shabbos? On Long Island, Where, what's it called? Uh, East Hampton. Remember the shops in East Hampton? This was years ago. Moshe Rabashkin told me a great Vort. Do you remember the Vort you told me? I'm going to remind you right now. That um, they asked Napoleon, how did he become the emperor of France and then at, at one point the emperor of basically all of Europe? He was a nobody. He was, who, how did he rise to such prominence? So he said to them, after the revolution, after they threw out the king, the crown was lying on the floor and nobody bothered to bend over and pick it up. So I picked it up and I put it on, and that's how I became the emperor. Remember you told me that? I think, by the way, that itself, even though Napoleon was a a real clipper, as we're going to discuss. You can learn something from everything. You can learn even from Napoleon. Sometimes the only reason why an opportunity hasn't been seized is just because nobody bothered to seize it. And comes along somebody who says, hey, you know what? This thing isn't being done, but it can be done. And it should be. Right? Looking at Menachem. Okay. So Napoleon, he, he rose from out of nowhere. He becomes this emperor. And he is expanding across. He, w- he, he was a soldier, so he was a military tactician. He is spreading across Europe. And he's not just winning battles, but he is um, applying policy. See, Napoleon, interesting interestingly, He was an an emperor, and so in that respect, it was sort of a throwback to the monarchy. But he at least ostensibly represented the ideals of the revolution. The revolution was a leftist movement to throw out authority. So, you know, liberty, fraternity, equality those were the, the ideals of the revolution. Napoleon officially stood for those ideas liberty, fraternity, equality, and he was a liberator. In other words, he was giving rights to people who never had rights. Because if you think about it, how was Europe run for centuries, for millennia? Is you had an absolute monarch who ruled by divine right. That means every political scientist of the day would say, why is it who's the king? Who why should he rule? What do you mean? Because the there installed him. It was a concept, it was everyone understood, that a king is a representative of Hashem. It's interesting, because Chassidus says the same thing. It says that a head of state is like an antenna, the Hashpah that comes into the world through the Ayin Sodim, the 70 ministering angels, which represent each country, each country, the 70 Umais have, you know, like the 70 wolves surrounding the one lamb. So the nations, the proto-nations that are enumerated in, in Parshish Noyach, there are 70 of them. There's there's 70 ministering angels. A head of state, a president, a king, or whoever, is like one of those, but he's the embodiment on earth, and he sort of acts as a conduit for all the hashpah, all of the, 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 the affluence of blessing for the, the country over which he, he rules. And that's how it was understood. A king is, 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 is God's representative, and you don't mess with him. So came Napoleon, and he he sort of rode in on the revolutionary ideas, and he was a liberator. And he was going around giving rights to people that they never had before. Now, included in those to whom he was giving rights were an oppressed, disenfranchised minority in Europe, known as the Jews. The Jews didn't have rights. I mean, the Jews had less rights than everybody else. And Napoleon came along, and he started giving rights to Jews. And people were very excited about this, to the extent that even in the uh, Hasidic world, many of the Chsiddish Rebbez, the Tzaddikim, Talmide HaMagid, were very pro-Napoleon. In fact, they almost all were looked favorably upon Napoleon coming into Eastern Europe, hoping that he would bring some of the liberation uh, into Eastern Europe that he had already uh, installed in Western Europe. And there was really one dissenter. There was one opposition among the, uh, the Hasidic Rebbes, meaning the Talmide HaMagid, and that was the Alter Rebbe. And in fact, there's a letter. The Alter Rebbe wrote a letter to Meshe Meisels, great Chassid, Meshe Misel's or Meislish. In fact, the letter is in, in the book Beis Rebbe. It's also in the Igris Kodesh of the Alter Rebbe. That's as different from the Igeres ha- Igerus Igeres ha- is a part of Tanya. Igris our are letters that the Alteber wrote and were compiled. He, he wrote a letter, the Alteber wrote a letter to Mesham Isles. And he tells Meisham Isles, he says, Napoleon is a clipper, he's a klipper kosher, he's a bad guy, he's he's he he there's a kaya to him, he's 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 bad stuff. He's a he's a spiritual impurity. And uh, if he's going to succeed and he's going to conquer Eastern Europe, it will be materially beneficial for the Jews. They will have rights and they'll have material opportunities. But it will be spiritually devastating. It will be spiritually devastating. It will lead to assimilation and the Jewish people will, will be destroyed. We cannot let him win. We have to support the Tsar. And in fact, this same Mesha to whom the letter was written, actually stood up, as a chassid does, when his Rebbe tells him something's important. And he voted with his feet. And he actually helped, he assisted tangibly the, uh, the effort of the Russians in defeating Napoleon. What's the story? I'm sure many of us are aware at least a little bit of it, because it's mentioned in a yam. There's the yam of Yud Tess Adersheni. Anybody has a birthday Yud Tess Adersheni? Anyone is Bucky in yam? You know the Gutes uh, Yudtess Adasheni? Okay, we'll get to it. Meishe Meisels was a, a polyglot. He was multilingual. He spoke uh, French and German, Russian, Polish. So uh, the Alter told him that he should use his knowledge of languages to get hired by French intelligence. And that when he'll be hired by the French intelligence, he'll have inside information, and then he should smuggle out the information to the Russians to give them an advantage. In other words, to be a spy. So Meishemizel was a spy for the Russians against the French, and in fact, there was one very pivotal uh, contribution that he made. Um, it's known that the, the French, when they were coming into Eastern Europe, and they, they came into Russia, they would uh, attack the armories. We all know what an armory is, right? Like, that, there's, there's an armory in Brooklyn. They don't use it for an armory anymore. They use it for the Sathmet and to make their, uh, what, the uh, Chafalaf Kislev. But you know what an armory is? No? An armory is a place where armies keep their stuff. It's full of, what? Mitzvah tanks, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's where they keep their armaments. That's where they keep their weapons. So if you can go and attack an armory, you're cutting off the military's supply. It's, it's pretty uh, devastating. So the French had already done this. And uh, they were next plotting to hit the armory in Vilna. Vilna had an armory. And Meshe Meisels lived in Vilna. Which that's, that's a story for another time. But Vilna was a bastion of Hisnagdas, of opposition to say, this. And there were a few great Hasidim of the Altadeba who lived in Vilna who were instrumental in, in fighting those battles. But that's maybe a story for another time. Maybe Yutes Kislev. But at any rate, Mesha Miles is the one who found out the French were plotting to hit the armory in Vilna. He got news to the Russians before it happened. They were able to stave off the attack. I mean, Normally, they only had a certain amount of guards guarding an armory, but then they reinforced the, 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 the troops. And this was considered extremely pivotal to the Russian ultimately to the Russian victory. So, And in fact, the Tsar had instructed his army to provide any support that Rabbi Barakovich will ask for, because he was considered to be such an important asset to the state, to the Russian monarchy. OK. So oh, the I forgot that. would test the Sheni. So the famous story. What was the story? Mesha Miles was one time, he's in the war room with a bunch of French generals. And they have the maps open, and they're looking where they're going, where the armies are, where they're going to move them, and he's the interpreter. And uh, all of a sudden, the door flew open. He said, the door flew open so violently, I thought it was the enemy. I thought we were being attacked. We were all going to be killed. But then I looked, and I saw it was Napoleon himself. Napoleon, he was the emperor. He had generals at this point who did, you know, who worked on actual battle plans. So he wasn't expecting to see Napoleon. Napoleon barged in. He says, Napoleon looks at me. I looked a little bit different. My shemaiz looked like a Fromayid, right? And so he's standing there, Orthodox Jew amongst, you know, these these generals. And Napoleon he says immediately looks at me, like I'm funny, you know, something something's <coughs> out of place. And he walked right up to me. He says, You're a spy. And then he took his hand and he put it on my heart. And Napoleon apparently he was sort of like a human polygraph test, right? That could read um, the heart rate. And he could tell if a guilty person was, you know, if his heart was responding like a like a guilty person, he could tell. So he came over and he says to Mesha Myles, you're a spy! And then he puts his hand right on Mesha heart. Mesha says, What did we learn from the Al-Tadabba? Amayah that the brain has to rule over the heart. So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not afraid. And that's it. I I reacted like an innocent person. And Napoleon felt that. And he was like, eh, it's okay, good. And he left and saved his life. So let's tell the story now of the last few months of the Altareba's life. Um, Where should we begin? I think the story really begins Tishabov. Tishabov, we know, is a day of devastation historically for the Jewish people. Many dates throughout history, or many events throughout history, occurred on that date. On Tishabov, Tov Kuf Ayin base, the summer of 1812, on the day of Tishabov, Napoleon entered Russia. He crossed the border, the boundary into Russia. OK. From Tishabov until Erev Reis Chodesh Elu. So we're talking 20 days. From the 9th of Av till the 29th of Av, Napoleon was moving at an incredibly fast pace. So much so that from having just entered Russia, just having crossed the border, and Tishabov, already, Chavtes of 20 days later, less than three weeks, he's already holding by Liadi. Now, the Al we, we, we know that the Al spent most of his life in Liashna, but following the second imprisonment, you know, the Al was imprisoned twice. So the first liberation was the liberation that we celebrate Yud Tes Kislev. Then there was a second imprisonment, and a second liberation, which was the liberation of Gimel de Chanukah. After the second liberation, the Alter Rebbe didn't want to go back to Liajna, and he made his new home in Liadi. So the Alter Rebbe lived in Liadi from Tov Kuf Samech Aleph, that's 1801, until Tov Kuf Ayin Gimel, until 1813 meaning the, the very end of his life, the last 12 years of his life. The Altarebel left Liadi only because Napoleon was literally hours away from entering the town. And he knew that it was not safe for him that if Napoleon comes into the town, it's not going to be good. So from Tisha when, when Napoleon entered Russia until Koftes, the 29th of Av, 20 days later, which was Erev resh Chedesh Elul, which was also Erev Shabbos that year. resh Chedesh Elul was on a Shabbos. On an Erev Shabbos, the Alter Rebbe, with his entire family, picked up from the place where they'd been living for 12, 13 years, and they left. On an Erev Shabbos. On an Erev Shabbos. You understand what that means on an Erev Shabbos? I mean, just to, to try to wrap our minds around it, we know there's a famous story about Yid Kislev. When they came and they brought, the, when they took the Alter Rebbe away to prison, when they brought him to, toward Petterberg, you know the story on Ed of Shabbos when the Alter Rebbe refused to travel and He told them, I'm not going to travel because it's Ed of Shabbos And what happened? The axle broke And then they went to fix the axle And then the horse died And when, no, no, no matter what they did, they couldn't get the, 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 the wagon, the budge. They understood the Alter Rebbe was using some type of powers to make this happen And finally they begged him, they said, Rebbe fine, let us just get to the village. We're not going to continue traveling, we'll just get to a nearby village. He told them, no, we're not going to budge, and they spent Shabbos at that spot. And in fact, there was a tree that grew there, it was outside of the town of Neville, and there were people who knew where it was for many, many generations afterwards. So the Friedek Rebbe once said, it's not such a miracle that the al was able to, to Disabled the wagon so that they would be forced not to travel on Shabbos because Atzadik will never be brought to sin So for this we know he has divine protection The Friedrich Rebbe writes what's the miracle is it happened so many hours before Shabbos It was hours before Shabbos and the Alta was saying no, I'm not going to travel So you see miracles happen in the Alta behalf that he shouldn't have to travel out of Shabbos Choftes Elul Erev Shabbos, Erev Rosh am Amichav Tess of Erev Rosh Chedesh Ellul. They were traveling on Erev Shabbos. Not only they traveled on Erev Shabbos, they didn't get to the town where they spent Shabbos until, until 30 minutes before Shabbos. So it was a serious issue. It was life and death. It was no joke. The al Rebbe left with his family. He left with all of his possessions. I think there were 60 wagons. Uh, they were also accompanied by a military guard. This was not an honor guard. It wasn't for pomp and circumstance. It was for protection because it was a war zone and the Altareba was a targeted individual. So they left Liadi. They got about 10 miles away and the Altareba said, stop, we got to go back. He told the rest of the entourage, you continue at your pace. I'm going to go back with some of the army, with some of the soldiers, and we're going to catch up with you." So the Altareba with some of the soldiers, they went back to Liadi, they went to the house. The Altareba says, check the house, make sure that everything was taken from the house. And they went back in the house and they found a few articles that were left, there: a pair of slippers, a couple of other objects. So they brought them out, they brought them to the Altareba, and the Altareba says, now burn the place to the ground they burnt the Alter home to the ground, they got back in the wagons, and they turned around, they caught up with the rest of the, the entourage. Hours later, the French army arrived with none other than Napoleon himself, and Napoleon was asking, bring me to the home of Rabbi Baruchovich. And when they brought him there and he saw it was on fire, he was irate after he saw that the house was burnt down he sent out emissaries all over town to ask if anyone has an object they might have received from the Alter Rebbe what was this? The Alter Rebbe understood very well what was going to happen that's why he burnt down the house Napoleon, like the Alter Rebbe says, was a klipa. he had a kayah and he wanted to get hold of an object that the Alter Rebbe had owned because an object that a tzaddik owns has a connection to the tzaddik, and thereby he was going to try to do some type of you know, spiritual, uh, some black magic, and uh, that's why the Alta- rebbe burnt everything down. From this, by the way, we can see the power that's in an object that was handled by a tzaddik. We know how the Rebbe gave out dollars and 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 these objects have a have a have a holiness, have a power to them, a real power. It's not just a keepsake, a memento, nostalgia. There's a real power in an object that was uh, handled by a tzaddik. Hmm? So it could be, it it could. So Klipa could use that power. That, That yeah, that's the point. There's a power to the object. And if you use it right, you use it right. But God forbid the opposite could be. And that's how Napoleon wanted to do He wanted to get a hold of that object and use it in a negative way. So at any rate, they they made it to the town about a half an hour before Shabbos. And uh, during that whole time, they were fleeing. And uh, it's interesting, the Mitle Rebbe says, that they would be they would be receiving news from the front. You know, it wasn't like you could turn on CNN, but word would travel through you know messengers, and they had the army with them. So <coughs> seemingly the army had some type of a way of communicating, um, getting messages from the front. So they would get messages. Obviously, the messages would take time. So they would find things out a- after it happened. I don't know the lag time, but the point is, the Mitlereba said that. All, all during this whole tukufa, while they were running, he says the Al-Tarabba would be openly discussing the current events, and he'd be talking about Napoleon and the Tsar and the wars, and he said there was such ruach ha open nevuah. The Al-Tarabba would be describing what's happening, and it would it, everything that he was describing would happen exactly as he described it. The midler Rebbe says during this time, this, 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 these last months, the Al-Tarabba was revealing things he never revealed before. Which we'll get to. Um, Hashem, uh, I want to talk about at the end. Um, so they, they, they're, they're fleeing. When they would, ha- when they would come to a, a, a fork in the road, it was the Alta Rebbe who would decide which way they're going to go. Now I should mention they left. Let me just make sure everyone's awake. Do you remember when they left? What day they left Liadi? Chavtess. <laughs> oh, very good. Erev of Elo which is a month before Rosh Hashanah. When they left, the al Rebbe said, it's very important that we should be in Poltava for Rosh Hashanah. The Alt-Rebbe said it. Everyone knew that. They knew that was the goal. And it was a reasonable goal. They would come to different forks in the road. The Al Rebbe was the one who would say, not the army, not anyone else, he would say which way they're going. Sometimes the Alter Rebbe would look from his carriage. He was the third carriage in the procession. Sometimes he would get out of his carriage. He would walk into the fork in the road. He would lean on his cane. And he would enter a state of dvekas. And then he would point one direction or the other. And that's the way they would go. At one point, they came to a fork in the road. The Alter Rebbe gave his instructions. and. Uh, the one who would implement it was a grandson al Alter grandson, the Mitle Rebbe's son, Rab Menachem Nochem it occurred one time they were traveling and they were many miles after a certain fork in the road and the Alter Rebbe asked when are we arriving at such and such village? Now that village was not on the way that they were going anymore, it was on the way that they had just not gone so when Menachem Nochem heard this, he realized he messed up. That he took them on the wrong way. That somehow there was a, a misunderstanding. He went not the way the Alter Rebbe had wanted them to go. And he was panicked. And he came to the Alter and he says, we're, we're on the wrong path. We can turn around right now and go back. And the Alter Rebbe said, fortunate is the grandfather whose grandson follows in his way. Unfortunate is the grandfather who follows in the grandson's way. No, we're not turning back. Now that we're heading this way, we're going to continue. And uh, they did not reach Poltava for Rosh Hashanah. And for the rest of his life, Rebbe Menachem Nochem blamed himself that... A few months later, what transpired is what we know, what we're commemorating tonight on Chovdal Tevis, that the Alter was nostalgic that he passed on. And uh, the Alter grandson always felt that if he would have gone the right way and they would have made it to Poltava for Rosh Hashanah, then this whole journey would not have ended as it did. Um, Rosh Hashanah, somehow it was known, I don't know how tzaddikim know these things, but however they know, that if you could blow shoifer before the other tzaddikim, then your army that you're supporting is going to win. So the alt-rebbe, was, if he would blow for first, Rosh Hashanah, talking about Tav Kuf Ayin Gimel, then 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 the czar is going to win, and if the Tzadik poilin, meaning the other talmidei uh, magid, including Yisrael Koznitzer, the Koznitzer magid, uh, Aaron Karliner, and in 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 fact even Reb Levi Yitzchak Berdichev. I, in fact, uh, on the way over here, I was talking to my son, and I mentioned that uh, Levi Yitzchak was one of the pro-Napoleon tzaddikim. Uh, and my my son said, Levi Yitzchak Berdichevder, he was so much on the same page with the Alter Rebbe. So, I, I was Just this is from the boy. But I said, you know, Levi Yitzchak was such a lover of Jews. Maybe he was he he was just he had so much so much compassion that he just wanted it to be easier on them. Pasha and that's the the the. Kula Alma, the, the al Rebbe agreed that if Napoleon's going to win, is, materially, it's going to be beneficial, it's going to be an easier life. At any rate, Rosh Hashanah, the Koshnetzer Magda, the Bishra he got up, he got up before dawn, went to Mikveh, and he started down in Shachos. Right at the first possible moment, and he was davening quicker than he ever davened before in his life until he got to Tikias, and, and then he did the Tikias, and then after he finished, he said, The Litvak chopped it already. The Talmudia Magid used to call the Al the Litvak, because they were Pelasher, and he was a Litvisher. He was from Belarus, which was Litta. He spoke differently. They used to say, Git Yom tev. He said, Gut Yom tev. right? He was a Litvak. A Kalta Litvak, like they say. That's why he was Meichen, he was Chabad. And they were the Pelosha, you know, the emotional, Chagas. At any rate, so he said that Litvak, he already chapted, it, he already got it. How did the Alte beat them? Well, everyone who goes on Mev or anyone who has on their wife before they go to shul, knows about this uh, Eitzah, right? You don't have to do Takiyas in Davening you can do t'kiyos first thing in the morning. So the, the Alter Rebbe got up, he did the t'kiyos, and then he went and davened. Later on, that Rosh Hashanah, the Alter Rebbe, was speaking to the Mitle Rebbe. And um, he said to the Mitle Rebbe, he says, things have changed. Now remember, now we're talking about 41 days Is that the right math? Since since Napoleon entered Russia? From Tishabov B'Av to Rosh Hashanah. Uh And for these 41 days, Napoleon, he's winning every battle and he's moving. He's moving fast. He's trucking. And Rosh Hashanah, the Altar Rebbe says, to the Mitla Rebbe, he says, it's changed. There's been a change. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He's going to reach Moscow. He's going to take Moscow. But then he's going to get Turned around and he's going to have to run away, and that's going to be his ultimate defeat, his complete downfall. And when the Chasideh heard this, they were overjoyed. And this Rosh Hashanah that that year was was exceptionally uh, Lebedic and they said Lechayim that Napoleon's having his downfall. Now, erev Yom Kippur, Napoleon took Moscow, meaning. Nine days later, right? Yom Kippur is ten, the tenth of Tishrei. So Ervim Kipper is the ninth of of Tishrei. So the the, the Rebbe said, an alaf Tishrei and Rosh Hashanah, he's going to take Moscow. That's what happened nine days later. Ervim Kipper. Napoleon took Moscow. Afterwards, the Mitl came to, the Alter Rebbe, and he was crying, and he said, he already took Moscow, and he's still there. He's still there. He's not going away. You said he's going to take Moscow, but then he's going to get turned around. He's going to run away, and that's going to be his ultimate downfall. He took Moscow, and he's staying in Moscow. The Al Rebbe was davening, and he had his tefillin on. And he said to the Mitla he says, you see, I'm wearing tefillin. And I'm only going to tell you the truth. I told you he's going to take Moscow but he's only going to hold on to it for a while, and then, I'm telling you, he's going to run, and that's going to be his ultimate downfall. We see also that sometimes the Rebbe tells us something's going to happen, and it doesn't happen in the timeline that we, that we understand that it's going to happen. But in the end, what the Rebbe says is going to happen. And that's precisely what occurred. And it's something that, that historians study to this day. How Napoleon, who was so successful, was turned around and he had to leave Moscow. He had to retreat. So, when the Rebbe tells us what's going to happen, sooner or later, that's exactly what's going to happen. So actually, there's a, a word in Lukut The Rebbe speaks about that between the, the, the commandment to make a mishkan, in Truma, tizave, you have a kisisa. Kisisa is Cheta Egel. So you have an interruption of a very negative thing. But between Viyakul and Pekudeh, Vejakel is meshe, is gathering the Yidden. pokude is they actually put together the Mishkan. There's never a hafsik Some years Vejakel and Pekudeh are separate. So you've got to wait a little bit. You've got to wait till the next Shabbos. But there's not a Hefsik. Because once Moshe gathers the Jews and says, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, so at any rate, the Mitle Rebbe was crying, he took Moscow, he's in Moscow, he's still there, he's holding it, the Altar told him, don't worry, you wait and you see, he's going to get turned around from Moscow. Now, I should mention that during that same exact Kufa where the, the Altar is telling the Mitle Rebbe, don't worry, let's rewind a few days, the Shabbos Shuvah, the Shabbos between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Alt Rebbe was weeping. And the Mittler Rebbe and the Tzamach Tzadik came to him and they asked him about it. And he said that he's thinking about after the, after the French have to retreat from Moscow, it's still not over. He says, because as they're retreating and they're going back to France, he says, I see already the devastation to the Jewish communities that's going to be inflicted by these French soldiers as they go through Belarus, as they go through White Russia. And Altareba was weeping about this, and indeed that was the case. That even after they were defeated, but you know, they uh, they were pogroms as the, the French retreated back through uh, Belarus. You know, never never pass up an opportunity to uh, inflict violence upon the Jews, I guess. So it's a month later. Okay, Erevyam Kipper is when Napoleon took Moscow. Okay, a month later. Now, it's two months later. Two months and one day later. So from Erevyam Kipper until Yud Kislev two months, one day it was Mutzah Shabbos Pashas Vayetze the Alt Rebbe turned to the Chassidim and he said this is it it's here, the downfall is coming he's going to be run out of Moscow okay, two months after Napoleon conquered Moscow and it still didn't happen but on the 15th of Kislev, five days after that Matzah Shabbos when the Altareb said it's going to happen. By the way, does anyone know what the 15th of Kislev is? Mm-hmm. Tezvov Kislev? We have any uh, Hevra Kedisha? Fasting. It's fasting, very good. Shortest day of the year. So shortest day of the year, yeah. So the Altareb Rebbe was in the Kedisha, and he would fast that day, as was his custom all his life, or at least even uh, since his young years, when he became a member of Heber Kedisha. So when he broke the fast at the end of Tess Vav Kislev, at the break fast, he said, "Lachayim." today he was chased out of Moscow. Now remember, I told you before, there's no CNN. You had to wait for news to come from the front. They waited, they waited. Finally, what day did they get news, did they get confirmation that that, that Napoleon was chased out of Moscow? Uh, Let me see if anyone knows here, Hasidic trivia, although we can't call it trivia because nothing in Hasidishkeit is trivial. But there's a day of the year that's called Yem HaBisura, the Day of Good Tidings. Does anyone know the Yem HaBisura, the Day of Good Tidings? The day, a lot of good things happened on, on that day, starting with the liberation of the Alter Rebbe. Yud Teskislev, Yema Besura. There's a safer Shilas Shailas Mina Shamayim. And over there it says that Yud Teskislev, Yema Besura. So on Yud Tess, Kislev, they got the news that indeed it was, as the Alter Rebbe had said, Napoleon had been chased out of Moscow. There it was. Now, they were still not done uh, running. They had to, I mean, they were in, living out of wagons. And they couldn't go back. Remember, the, the land had been devastated. There were, there, were, there were still soldiers there, even though they were retreating. They had to find a place to settle. And in fact, this is an important thing to remember. Um, the Mittler Rebbe was not present with the Alter Rebbe at his histalkos because the Mitle Rebbe was sent on a special shlichus to scout out possible towns where they would settle. And when the Alter Rebbe was nistalik, the the Mitle Rebbe was in Kremenchuk. Kremenchuk was a chassid a or became uh, even more in the later generations. So the Mitle Rebbe was scouting out that maybe they were going to live there, and that's where he was when the the Alter Rebbe was nistalik. But at any rate, um, a few weeks after they got the news Napoleon had uh, been chased out of Moscow, on the eighth of Tavis they arrived in the village of Piena. Piena we know that we know Pienna because that's the last place where the Alter lived, and he lived there for sixteen days. Now I, I mentioned to you before the Mitl had said that during that whole Tukufa, that hundred forty some days, that the Alter Rebbe was speaking open Nevoah the whole time I I, I should add also that the Alter Rebbe was revealing Chassidus on a totally new level the entire time and especially those last 16 days from the 8th of Tavis till the 24th of Tavis two and a half weeks the Alter Rebbe was revealing Chassidus on a level unprecedented and during those 16 days the Altebe wrote two very very important works of Chassidus he wrote what later became Simen Chof of Hegeras HaKodesh and an essay known as Nefesh Hashvela, the humble soul and they both are about the same topic what topic are they both about? The Alter Rebbe brought out a whole new perspective on the value of physicality. That it's not just like we think, you know, and Tanya talks about... The Alter Rebbe brought a- That's me. Perspective on the value of... Yeah. That's what I sound like. I gotta stop talking. It's always weird to hear your own voice recorded. Um, we know in Tanya, in Prochim, Lamed Hey Lamed Vov, Lamed Zayin, so over there it talks about mitzvahs But over there, what does the Altar Rebbe say? He says, Why is Maise important? Why is the stuff that you do in the physical world with a body important? He says, Because it's a Yisuna That basically, because this world is the lowest world, so the Eivish there appreciates it most. You know, it's like, when, when you're really thirsty you appreciate a glass of water so when it's in a dark place you really appreciate the light in the later chassidus that the altibur is writing Mamash the last days of his life he brought out a whole new level he starts explaining no in the whole state of in all of the worlds the only place where you can really experience the essence of godliness is in the physical world that in the spiritual worlds that's Giloyim, that's fireworks. But down here, with a body, with a simple action, that's Atzmus. That, by the way, is one of the themes of Bosilagani. I know we're coming up to Yudshvat, and Chsidim are thinking already in terms of Bosilagani and Yudshvat and Kabbalah Sanasius. That's one of the themes there in the Maimer as well. That, that in the physical world, you have the greatest ability to actually have godliness. That in the spiritual world you see godliness, in the physical world you could actually be godliness because you could become an extension of Hashem's will by surrendering yourself to His mitzvahs. At any rate, and it's all because you, the, the the physical world is it reflects the idea of Hashem's Atmos. That just like Hashem has no precedent, nothing came before Him, nothing caused Him to be. The physical world is the only place in all sefer hareshdashos that sees its it sees its reality as if it came from nowhere, as if it just exists by itself. And even though it's incorrect, but the fact that it can even see it that way shows that there's a certain truth to it, which is that the physical world is the one place we can actually become one with God. Not like in the spiritual worlds where they watch God, they behold God, they're impressed by God. This is where you can one with Him, through mitzvahs ma'asis. The Friedrich Kereba wrote that from the Siddis that the Altebbe wrote in the last days of his life, he brought out he, he opened up a new Mayon, you know we talk about Chesid as hafatzis hamayonis, so there was a new Mayon, a new spring opened up just those last few days now I also think it's Kedai for us to think about this, something that the the, the Rebbe pointed out, that it was Dafke in the end of the Alter Rebbe's life, Balmedain in this physical world, where the deepest chsiddis came out, and the Rebbe said that a tzaddik, as he approaches the climax, the culmination of his life, so the essence of his teachings start to become revealed. And I think, I mean, for us in Derashvi, it's so clear, things that the things that the Rebbe was was. I don't want to say hinting at because the Rebbe spoke clearly, but saying in a gentle way in Tavshin Yud Aleph, the Rebbe was saying it in such a powerful way, Tavshin Nun Aleph, Tavshin Nun Beis, the Rebbe brought the, 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 the essence of his teachings, the real, the core of his message, which is Mashiach, that came out in the last Sikhs, in the later years, in the most revealed and most potent way and the Rebbe said this on the Alter Rebbe, we see this with a tzaddik it's interesting because in the world you have a teacher, you have a Chochem and he's he's considered an expert and everybody relies on him but then towards the end of his life people don't rely on him because they say maybe he's not so sharp anymore, maybe he lost his edge but with Talmideh Chochomim and a tzaddik and especially a Nasi, it's the exact opposite because his whole life is spirituality so even though Taki in those, those days, the Al-Tarebbe's body was deteriorating, the Al-Tarebbe physically, because of the, 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 the traveling and the journey, and the, the Agmas Nefesh, he physically was getting weaker. But spiritually, he was getting stronger and stronger and stronger so that his deepest chassidus, which was the core of his message all along, was coming out in those last days. Kof Dalet Tevis as we mentioned was ultimately the Alter Rebbe's That was a Matzah Shabbos the Alter Rebbe Davin Maidav made Avdola actually he made Avdola and Davin Maidav in that order and Matzah Shabbos he was Nistalik in Piena and he was buried nearby in Hadich. Now, that's basically the biography. But I wanted to also speak a little bit about some of the deeper significance of the Altadeba's opposition to Napoleon especially in light of some things that the the Rebbe said, particularly in in the later years. The Alter Rebbe vehemently opposed Napoleon, as as we said at the very beginning, and and he gave the reason why. That Napoleon would bring rights and and, and material prosperity to the Jews, but spiritually it would be devastating for them. It would lead to assimilation. As I mentioned, Napoleon was a liberating force. He represented the revolution, which was a leftist movement to throw out the established authority, the monarchy. And basically, what that means is that the spirit of liberation that, the, that, the, that Napoleon represented was a poison, a spiritual poison, which had to be opposed at all costs. Now, here's the thing. In Tav base, Beis, interestingly enough, we're mentioning how the Rebbe's deepest teachings came out in the later Sichas. Shabbos Mavarchem Chedish Tevis, Shabbos Parshas Vayeshev there was the French Fabrengen. There were a group of French Balabatim people who had contributed a bunch of money to the yeshiva in Benoit. And the Rebbe was clearly acknowledging them. And at one point, they sang Haderes for to the tune of the Masayeh, the way the Rebbe taught it tavshin, Lamed, Dalad. Lamed, Dalad. The Rebbe sang Haderes for So they sang that. And the Rebbe started speaking about Tsarfas, Tsarfas is the biblical Hebrew for for France, Um, and how it's Begamatria 770, which is also Perazda, which means breaking forth, bursting through barriers, and started speaking about how French values the liberation ideology, the throwing off of old convention and old authority which used to be spiritual poison and which the Alter Rebbe therefore had to oppose has been transformed into a positive force that we can use I think it's important to point this out the Rebbe did not change the position from what the Alter Rebbe established. The, The Rebbe stuck to the Alter Rebbe's position and said that this is how the shitta is applied in our day and age, because conditions are different. It's I don't want to bring, uh, uh, in, uh, you know, an elephant in the room and distract everybody. But maybe it's a good muscle Maybe it's a terrible muscle because it'll distract people with a whole new uh, train of thought. But for instance, for instance, if you guys can just indulge me and then promise to end this conversation and go back to our main conversation. But as a mussel, I want to get as a dogma. People who don't understand that Abba's shitta about Eretz Israel, might think that you know, the Rebbe Shab was anti-Zionist. And, and, the, and, and the Friedrich Rebbe was anti-Zionist. And the Rebbe was such a big supporter of the, the political and military strength of, of, of Israel. And, um, but the truth is, there's not a reversal of position. I mean, in Hayem Yem, which is the Rebbe Sefer, he, he includes teachings of the Friedrich Rebbe which say how people shouldn't put their hopes in having a political state, and that it's false hopes, and it's uh, it was, even says worse, more negative things than that. So the, the Rebbe wasn't a Zionist, he never became a Zionist. But the way to ensure safety and security of Jews was to support the, the state as a political and military entity. So it wasn't a change in, in, in the policies, it was a change in the way the facts on the ground had, had, had changed, and therefore, to remain consistent, you have to change the way that you apply things. So again, I said I don't want to get off into that as a, as a whole side conversation. But the Rebbe's approach was the same as the Alter Rebbe's approach. It's just in the, in the Alter Rebbe's time, this, this liberalism of a French revolutionary uh, idealism was a clipper. It was about prikassail. Liberalism was just throwing off all of the convention, all of the authority, and why? Because, remember, remember, we might not be able to relate to this so well because we don't, we, we never had a king. So we, we think a king is a weird thing. But people believed in kings. I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the talk, why do people believe in kings? Because they believe a king had divine right. They thought he was a representative of God. So the reason people believed in kings is because they, 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 had, they had some level of of, of recognition that there's a creator, so it was a wholesome thing. It was a good thing that they represented a king, and then for the revolutionaries to come in and get rid of the king, it, it, it was it was it smacked of atheism, or, or you know It was throwing off the yoke of heaven and and, and and fighting against divine authority. Now, by the way, it's interesting. You're going to say, hold on a second. There was an American Revolution too. So they never actually mentioned that. The American Revolution. 1776, which was during the time when the Alter Rebbe was in Mezrich. The Rebbe said that was a different kind of a revolution because the other revolutions were to throw off the yoke of heaven. It was against God. The American Revolution was using the belief in God, right? that all men were endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and that the founding fathers were all believers, whether they were deists or theists—that's a discussion for another time. Exactly what their theology was, but the point is, they believed in revolution because of their belief in God, and the Rebbe points out, and that's why America was successful, why America has had longevity. And in fact, I don't know if people realize this, but do you know the oldest existing? government in the world. It's very surprising because you know, you go to Europe, you go to England let's say, and you stay in a house that's 500 years old. It's not even a historical landmark, it's just houses are 500 years old. And in America, if something's 100 years old, it's, you know, it's, it's ancient, right? I think the oldest Chabad house I've ever been in is uh, in Marion Station, Pennsylvania. They bought a building from, that was built 1695, which is the times of the Baal Shem Tov. I think that's the oldest building that became a Chabad house. You know, that's ancient. In America, 1695, that's ancient, right? In Europe, you know, you see things 500 years, 600, 700, you go to Eretz Yisrael, things are 1,000 years, 2,000 years, you know, the Kaisal's are 2,000 years old, right? But surprisingly, what's the oldest continuously existing government in the world? The United States of America so even though it was a revolution, but it was a theistic revolution, it was a revolution that was based on freedom of religion, Or like, like the Rebbe pointed out not freedom from religion, but freedom of religion, freedom to practice religion and, and, and the belief in God and therefore it was mevereches, it was, it was blessed and it continues to this day. The French, their, their revolution, i remember I told you they threw out the king and they put in a, uh, a republic the republic didn't last, I don't think it lasted a decade but you know how many republics France has had? Since that revolution, I think they're in their fifth republic. I think with De Gaulle in the 50s, they started the fifth republic. It's still going till now. But every, every 50 years, they're changing it up, making a new government. Why? Because it wasn't, it wasn't based on God. And therefore, it's, it's fleeting. It changes. It's based on humanism. It's based on, you know, pre But here's the Kiddush. The Rebbe said... That attitude of, of, of freedom, we could do whatever we want, we could throw off authority, at the time of the Alter Rebbe, was poison and it had to be addressed like that and that's why the Alter Rebbe was we know that his fight against Napoleon, let's say it bluntly, the Alter Rebbe's fight against Napoleon is what precipitated in his demise. So he was to fight that clipper. Yet the Rebbe comes out Shabbos Moachim Tevis, Pashas Vayesh of and Beis, and the Rebbe says, Now we can use it. He said, the, the spirit of liberty, fraternity, equality, the French liberalism, the openness, we can use it. We're at a point now, we're so close to Mashiach, we don't have to be afraid of it using us. We have the balabatishkeit. We own it. And then the Rebbe pointed out, which is why we took their song. We took the Masayeh and we turned it into a for Amunah, which praises Hashem as the one who is eternal and, 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 and exists forever. So we're the boss. We can use it. And the Rebbe even says an interesting thing there. There's a concept in Torah of following Minagamakam which is an interesting concept. In in, in, in in Yiddishkeit, you have to have your principles. You don't change. You don't veer. You don't adapt. And the Rebbe says, but yet in Torah, there's a concept of mina That when you're in a place, you follow the style of the place. So the Rebbe said, what does that mean? That different times and junctures in history, there's a different ruach. And you have to know how to use it the right way. So in the time of the Alter Rebbe, leftist revolutionary liberation ideology had to be opposed at all costs. In our day, so close to Mashiach, we could use it. There are no limits. You can do anything you want. Nobody can stop you. You have all the freedom in the world. We can be as Jewish as openly as we want to be. We just have to have the right answer, we have to understand the opportunity that it affords us. Now would any of us step forward and make that judgment call? No. But the Rebbe stood up in 1992, and he said, we came to a new place, we came to a new juncture in history. And that the things that used to be a curse are now blessings. So yeah, if your great-great-great-great-grandparents would have suddenly had the affluence and the freedom that you have, it would have been terrible for them. But the Rebbe says, let's, let's, let's hear this, that if you have affluence, you have money and opportunity and freedom and you can go where you want and do what you want and nobody can stop you, that's a blessing because you know how to use it. That's real Dereshvi type stuff, right? Like, the Alta Rebetz Chassidim couldn't handle it. We can handle it. Okay? (laughs) It wasn't our choice. It wasn't our Avaidah. But we're Dera We live in unique times. We live in a time where we can use something that used to be a curse, we can use it as a blessing. We can use it as an opportunity. See, we went a little bit over time already so I'll just uh, wrap up by saying just like the Mittler Rebbe says that in those last few months there was open Ruach HaKodesh, and that the Alta Rebbe was explaining everything that was going on in the world and revealing new depth of Chassidus I think it's Kedai for us in Deir Shvi to remember how the last Sichas the Rebbe is describing reality And the Deb is at the cutting edge, and he's telling us exactly what's happening, what's unfolding before our eyes. Serious stuff. Exciting stuff. Okay, thanks.